Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Father, that's our confession this morning. We confess that we need you. We confess that apart from you, we are nothing. We confess that you are the vine, we are but the branches. We confess that apart from you, we are nothing. But with you, we're everything. With you, we have overcome the world because you have overcome the world. With you, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. With you, we have actually, we possess the righteousness of God. With you, we are treasures. With you, we are partakers of the divine nature. With you, we have already been given everything pertaining to life and godliness in this world. With you, we have life. So Father, we just cry out, our dependency upon you. We love you. But we love the fact that you loved us first. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, thank you, Beth, for coming and leading some music. Um, really appreciate that. Um, we're, we're going to, um, I'm going to very briefly, um, Jamie, would you help me pass these out on, on this side? Um, Stephen, would you mind helping me pass out these on this side? We're going to very briefly um, hand out some, uh, here, there it goes, um, talking about Lord, I need you. Here's a great opportunity for us to trust him. We need to very, very, very briefly uh, take a look at what we have proposed to the church fellowship as our, uh, basically our budget. We call it an investment plan, but our budget for 2017, um, we're only going to take about two, three minutes right here and now. The reason that we've printed this up for you to take home with you is for you to look over this for the next uh, 30 plus days. Um, on January 1, this is really important, I should have put it at the bottom of this, but on January 1, we'll, we'll remind you, but on January 1, we're going to have, it's a Sunday, uh, we're going to have a very special, what we just simply call a family meeting. Uh, we might have some music, we might not, but the point of it is to just really take a look at what we believe corporately together God wants for the future of our church. Where do we want to go? What do we want to see? Who are we? What are we going to be doing? And so we want that to be a congregational-wide conversation, not just me and Jim and, and Brandon as the elders, 
But so that's on January 1, and so we'll talk about this some more on January 1. I'll briefly hit some highlights right here uh, to make sure we understand what's on the page in front of you. But I really want to get into uh, what we're going, the teaching this morning, which is, I think, going to be ex- very, very exciting and encouraging. Uh, but very quickly, at the top of your sheet there, you'll see a little graph. The blue, the $2,273, that represents the average income, weekly income, at Life Journey Church for the first three quarters of 2016. So on average, for January through, what is it, September, whatever the end of the third quarter is, um, for January through September, the average weekly income was $2,273, okay? We understand that, that, that idea. That's not what we got at every single Sunday, but that's the average. Some weeks we got more, some weeks we got less, but that's the average of income when we pass the baskets. The green number represents the 2017 weekly need in order to meet our new budget, okay, which is $2,172. So what I'm saying to you is that the new budget for next year is actually less than what we averaged in our income. Does that make sense? Most churches, a lot of times in us in the past, we'd say, hey, well, we got 22 uh, 73 last year in, in weekly income, so let's go for more the next go around. That's what a lot of people, a lot of times, and we've done that before, but we want to do it differently. We want to try to cut as much, and you'll see this in the budget, want to cut as much operating expenses as possible so that, and you'll see this reflected in the budget, so that we can actually start saving some money for future, okay? There's going to come a day when we're not going to be able to meet in a school building. There's going to come a day. I don't know when that day is, but there's going to come a day. And right now, we're basically spending the money that comes in on average. But we need to start saving money as a, as a body. And we'll talk more about that on January 1st when we meet together for this family meeting. And so what you'll see, and you take this, uh, analyze it, look at it, but you have on the left column of all these sections the 2006 budget, And then you have in the right column the 2017 proposed budget. So, for example, personnel. That's my salary. That's Alvina, uh, et cetera. Uh, In 2016, I was full-time. It's still 2016 and full-time. $90,000 for me, Alvina, and then we had an administrator, Holly, the first part of the year, so for three people. But you'll see in 2017 that the personnel salary is just 57000 So that is a significant cut in what we're funding for salaries so that we can have more monies to do other things with. And we'll get to those other things in a minute. It's in orange. And so, so for 2017, the total salaries is some 35-some percent less than what we're going to be spending than what we spent in 2016, Okay. So you, that's just an example, you're smart folk, you can go through and see the different things, how we've cut different things, how we've added some things in some places. Uh, the rent of Henley is actually going up next year, and so there's some things that have gone up, that's under the administration part. Uh, so there's things that'll go up, there's things that go down, um, but the big thing, the orange section there, at least it looks kind of orange, burnt orange right here, um, in our 2016 budget, we budgeted to save 4800 bucks, but in our 2017 budget, we're budgeting to save $15,000. So that, again, 
if we do that for 2017, if we do that for 2018, do that for a couple of years, we'll actually have some money so that if a property is available to us to rent, to lease, however that looks in the future, which I don't have any crystal ball of what that's going to look like, but at least we'll start having some money on hand to do that with. Now, all that's contingent upon whether or not, as a body, we want to contribute to, to make the new weekly need of 2172. And that's what we really want to get into on January 1st. Do we, as a body, want to commit to, raise, to, to donating $2,172 for 2017? If we do, fantastic. If we don't, fantastic. But that's what our new uh, weekly need will be. Uh, starting 2017, if we move forward. This is proposed. Our elders have got together. Some of our finance team has got together to try to cut as much as possible so that we could start saving some money so that we could actually have a future outside of renting a, a, build, a, a school every single Sunday morning. Okay? So for that fodder, I want you for the next several weeks to write down every single question you could think of, look through this, uh, examine this so that on the first we can talk about this. Not just the money, but talk about just who are we? Where are we going with this thing? Is this something that we want to continue investing into? Uh, do we want to change who we are, what we're doing? I want us as a body. I believe that you have the Spirit of God in you, and I want you to be a part of the formation of where this thing is headed. I know we've got a lot of people a lot of core people out of town today, um, but I want to give us all as much time as possible to think through these things so that we can um, move forward uh, at the first of the year appropriately. Um, and in all seriousness, if we get to the first of January and we say, hey, this is fantastic, but look, I mean, we're not really as a family going to support financially, you know, this, this, this 20, whatever it is now, 22, 20, 21, 72, that's fantastic. I mean, we just want to share what I think we can do, but if the Spirit is not uh, leading us as a body to do these things, then okay, that's His direction. We just follow Him, and uh, we're all in this, you know, together. So with that being said, we'll hold questions and thoughts and what about whatabouts for this until our meeting on the 1st, and um, we'll... Uh, We'll see where we go, because I'm, I, I say this very, very plainly. As long as there is air in my lungs, wherever I am, I'm going to joyfully, uh, I, I say faithfully, but hopefully it's faithful, but I'll joyfully uh, proclaim the finished work of Christ. So whether that's four of us meeting in my living room on Sunday mornings or 4,000 at the football stadium every single Sunday morning, I don't care. I really don't care. I'm going to faithfully proclaim the finished work of Christ because anything else I think is just a waste of our time. Just straight up being honest with you, okay? Uh, put all those cards out there. So uh, we want to get feedback from you. Um, this is just something that we want to, uh, to start looking at. All right. No real simple segue transition from that to, to this, but let's get into uh, what, we, what I came here today to really get excited about, and that is our teaching this morning. So <clears throat> it's December. We've started, you know, this whole Christmas, it's starting to be Christmassy all over the place. There are even some trees that were over here on the side wall, and I said, hey, throw those up there. They look nice. 
Um, so it's Christmas time. It's Christmassy. Um, but we're going to do, I want to do something a little bit different. If you read the email on Friday, you would have seen this. But I want to do something a little bit different in this Christmas theme, this Christmas time uh, this year. Um, I want us to look at one verse that's a very famous verse that is a very Christmassy verse. It's up on the screen, I think, uh, here shortly. And it, it is when uh, the angel came to Joseph. Remember, Joseph was going to put away Mary. Um, he was going to secretly divorce her. I think legally, according to the law, he could have um, brought charges against her and even have her stoned to death. But he decided to do it uh, quietly. And so he was going to divorce her. He was going to put her away. And the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, hold up. All right, something's big happening. Uh, and the child that is inside of Mary, the child is actually the child of the Holy Spirit himself. And in the, the, Holy, the, the angel says to Joseph, she, talking about Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Jesus, we're familiar with the word Jesus. It's kind of an English Englishized version, the Greek, you know, uh, Yeshua, but I mean, uh, Jesus, but the Hebrew is Yeshua, which is the very same name of an Old Testament guy named what? Joshua. So Joshua and Jesus are actually the same name, okay? So Joshua and Jesus. So Joshua, let's go back to Joshua real quick. Joshua was uh, raised up by the Lord after Moses died to lead them into the promised land. His name, Joshua, the name actually means deliverer, savior, salvation. And so Joshua leading the children of Israel Israel across the Jordan River was a beautiful, awesome, God-orchestrated shadow of another Joshua that would come. And in English, we call his name Jesus, but it's the same name in the original, uh, in in, um, Hebrew. And so you will name him, you will call him Jesus. And Jesus, aka Joshua, for, now remember, I've said this a bunch, I hope you've, if you, if you never come back to life journey, this is something to really take away. F-O-R, it always helps explain what was just said. For, why will you call his name Jesus? For, he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, Joshua, Yahshua means Savior, salvation, deliverer. You'll call him salvation because he's going to save. You'll call him deliverer because he's going to deliver. And so what I want us to do over these next three weeks, today and the next two weeks, this, this Christmas theme, is I want us to look at a couple of examples in Jesus' own words, because that's our big you know, thing we're trying to do. We're trying to learn about Jesus, learn who he is, learn, learn about him of examples where he comes along and saves people. Because I bet we're going to see ourselves in some of these situations where he saves people, and we're going to learn a lot about who this Jesus is. And so today we're going to see Jesus save a demoniac, or demoniac, a guy who's possessed by demons. Next week we're going to see Jesus save a girl who was caught in the act of adultery. And the week after that, on the 18th, when we have all the kids in here, we're going to talk about Jesus saving a wee little man named Zacchaeus. And all of it, through all of it, we're going to see the very heart of God himself who has sent his own son, his only begotten, into the world 
to save people from their sins. And the question that we really need to start determining or or, or fighting or, or wrestling with is, did he deliver? Did Jesus, the one who came to save his people from their sins, did he deliver or did he not? Did he accomplish it or did he not? And so let's take a look at this guy in Mark chapter 5. You can open up your Bibles or you can take out your Bible app, you know, and go to Mark chapter 5. And we're going to walk quickly through the the text. It's 20 verses, so we're going to walk quickly through it. But then we're going to come back through it and just take a look at asking the question, what is this really telling us about Jesus? What are we, what is Mark writing this stuff down to so that 2,000 years later, we can be sitting here actually learning something about Jesus and how he saves. Because the angel said, you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's look at verse 1. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. They, this is Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the uh, Gerasenes. So they're Jesus had just calmed the sea. Um, he Remember, he was asleep in the front of the boat. He just did that, and they're on their way across the sea. And the, we pick up in verse 1, they get to the other side. Verse 2, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Okay, so I want to try to paint the scene, paint the picture. Let's put ourselves into the, into the, the account here. You get out of the boat, you rode, you've rode across. You just saw Jesus calm the storms, right? You're, let's say you're a disciple. You just basically said, Jesus, do you even care about us? Because we're going to die here, and you're, you're, you're catching up on your, your Zs over here. And Jesus stands up, and he calms the wave. And they're like, man, even the waves, even the wind obeys him. They're blown away. And immediately they step off the boat, and a guy runs out of the tombs with an unclean spirit to meet Jesus. And he had his dwelling. So this guy, this is verse 3. He actually is, oh, you with us, Drew? Yeah, verse 3. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. So this guy not only has an unclean spirit that's living in him, but he's actually living with dead people. He's living amongst the tombs. And no one was able to bind him any longer, even with a chain. Now, I think this stuff is... we're going we're gonna to talk about this at length in a minute, um, but I want to make sure we see the picture. This guy is living where dead people live, and no one is able to even chain him up and restrain him. Verse 4, because, why are they not able to restrain him? Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had torn apart by him. Now, let's don't just skip over that, right? I don't know what grade chains these were, right? I don't know if they were rated for, you know, industrial use, but the fact, they're probably not plastic chains, right? Watch this, kids, you know, oh, dad, you're so strong, you know. Don't tell me you didn't do that, dads, right? Um, my kids think I'm the strongest thing in the world, you know, because I, I fool them. Um, they're not plastic. I mean, these are chains, and this guy is busting the chains. He's busting the shackles because, and the chains had been torn apart, 
violently is the idea, by him, and the shackles broken into what? What's that word? Pieces. So it's not just like he kind of, you know, did a little, you know, David Copperfield sort of, you know, uh, magic. I mean, he shatters metal into pieces. Now, are these Roman army, you know, grade shackles? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't get into specifics, but it's metal. I mean, I don't even know if we could do that with just aluminum. I mean, this is, I'm sure, iron shackles. And he breaks it into pieces. And no one, this is big. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build this up because it's for a purpose. No one was able to subdue him. No one. Do you see this? I mean, this guy is crazy. This guy has a strength not of a man. He has a strength of demons living within him. In fact, he's called the demoniac or the demoniac. That's a maniac. You take a maniac and you add a demon, you get a demoniac. You see the combination? And so this guy is absolutely crazy. There was nothing um, that could fix him from the outside. Do you see that? There was something deep within him that was broken. And they had tried their best from the outside to try to chain him, to try to subdue him from the outside in. And he was leaving their outside in attempts in pieces. Constantly, verse 5, it gets worse. Day and night, he was screaming among the tombs. I mean, this guy's crazy. He's screaming amongst the tombs. And in the mountains, and gashing himself with stones. And I get a picture of a very, very broken person. Gashing himself with stones. Uh, If you've kind of been off the teenage scene for a while, then this might be a surprise to you, but one of the biggest um, deals right now and for years is this thing called self-mutilation, where girls usually, but guys as well, but girls usually... They will take uh, razor blades and they will cut themselves um, for a variety of reasons. Um, But usually, the ones that I've dealt with, they'll cut themselves because the pain that they feel on the skin detracts them from the pain that's going on deep within them. Now, that doesn't make sense to my little, you know, brain that hasn't had to fight with that. But if you've seen that, if you've dealt with a teenager that's done that, that's faced that, or maybe even you yourself, it's heartbreaking. And think of this man possessed by these demons, possibly trying to divert the pain of what's going on in him, divert it to a physical thing so that this pain distracts from the heart pain. Does that make sense? Now, there might be other reasons, but I'm just sharing my thoughts. But he's gashing himself with stones. You know, I don't know what your worst day ever is, but probably your worst day ever is nothing like this. Maybe, maybe, but but probably not. Imagine the torment that this guy is facing. The self-mutilation. I don't know if he hates himself. I don't know what's going on in this guy's head. I don't know if he knows what's going on in his head. Now, for whatever reason, Mark doesn't mention this, but this account is recorded by Matthew and by uh, Luke as well. 
And in Luke's account, he makes a big deal. You can turn there as well. I think it's Luke 8, I believe. But he, he in Luke, mentions that the man, the same man, has been naked for years. They can't even put clothes on the guy. Naked for years. They can't put chains on him. They can't put clothes on him. And he's running around gashing himself, screaming like a banshee in the, in the tombs and in the mountains because of this condition within him. What's your most shameful day of your life? What's the most embarrassing, shameful moment of your life? I bet it not involve you standing naked before Jesus. Jesus gets off the boat, and this guy who cannot be tamed, this guy who cannot be constrained from the outside in, this guy who cannot be um, managed, clothed, is now, pardon the imagery, in his full glory in front of the God of the universe. Nothing to hide. This is the raw reality. And look at what happens here between him and Jesus Jesus, seeing Jesus from a distance. This is so cool. And I've got to hurry up because we've got so much to see in this. He ran up and bowed down before Jesus. Now let's see this. This guy who chains shackles, nobody could get a control on him. No sort of outside in influence could manage him. All of a sudden, this guy from Nazareth What good comes from Nazareth? This guy from Nazareth shows up, and this guy whom nobody could contain, nobody could control, comes over and voluntarily what? Bows down before the God of the universe. Wow. What is this all about? Let's keep reading. And shouted with a loud voice. April, you want to do your demon voice? Shouted with a loud voice. What business, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? He knows who he is. I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, we're going to pick up on what this all, I think, is showing us in a minute. But think of the amazing irony here. These demons, which we'll we'll know in a minute, it's not just one, but they, so I'll say these demons who have been tormenting this man and nobody can stop it, nobody can curb it, nobody can slow it down. This, this demon who's tormenting this man is now bowing before the God of the universe saying, please don't torment me. You talk about power. So let me ask you, how big is your Jesus? This guy who can break out of chains if you try to chain him up, he, he, he hadn't worn clothes in years. But now he's bowing before Jesus saying, please don't hurt me. Cowering in fear before the God of the universe who happens to live where? In you and in me. What does this say about the power of Jesus? The demons know. This one at least did. The power of Jesus. Verse 8, for Jesus had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. 
Verse 9, and he was asking him, what is your name? So Jesus is asking the demon, what's your name, demon? Tell me your name. And he said to him, the demon said to Jesus, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I don't know how many many is, but a legion, a Roman legion is at least 300 soldiers to as many as 6,000. I mean, did I say 300? I meant 3,000. From 3,000 to 6,000 soldiers, that's a legion of of Roman soldiers. That might have been what he's talking about. We don't know. It's just many. So it could be as many as possibly 6,000 demons inside of this guy. I don't know. But obviously it's enough that has tormented this man for years. No wonder chains had no power over him because there's possibly 6,000 demons living in the guy. Verse 10 and he, the demon, began to implore him, him being Jesus, the demon began to implore Jesus earnestly not to send him out of the country. He's saying, please don't send me out of here. Please, I like it here. I don't know. He says, I just don't want to leave this country. Verse 11, now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountains. Swine, pigs, bacon. Who said bacon? Bacon, right? Yeah, there you go. Bacon. And the demons begged, the demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. So Jesus gives permission, verse 13. And coming out of the man, the idea is, the unclean spirits then entered into the swine and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 pigs. So maybe there was 2,000 demons. I don't know. I don't know. And they were drowned in the sea. Plenty of bacon. Too bad the Jews didn't eat bacon, but I don't know what they were doing. Why were pigs even in the place? I don't know. They were unclean animals. But here's the deal. The pigs were the recipients of the demons. We'll get to this later. The recipients of the demons, and the pigs died so that this man could be free of the demons. Their herdsmen, okay, the people who were in charge of the pigs, they ran away and they reported it to the, in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man. Okay, now what's this man? Remember the man, the man that had these demons. He was naked, bleeding, breaking shackles, crazy, tormented. They see the man who had been possessed by demons. This is verse 15, Drew. They saw the man who was possessed by demons, and they now see him what? I've got it in red. Sitting down. When was the last time this man sat down and chilled out? He's been running and screaming through the tombs and the mountains, gashing himself with stones. When was the last time you think he just kind of relaxed? Sitting down, clothed. Again, Luke says that he'd been naked for years, and now he's clothed. Who do you think gave him some clothes? Might have been one of the disciples, but I can just imagine Jesus taking off his outer garment and wrapping it around this young man. Young, I say young man, I don't know, this man. Now, that's speculation. I don't know, but I'm just saying somebody gave him some clothes. And in his right mind, meaning there was a peace now within him, a peace that he hadn't tasted probably for years, a peace that Philippians talks about surpasses understanding, Torment became peace. Anxiety became peace. 
the very man. And Mark makes it very clear. We're talking about the very man who had the legion, (laughs) the very man who everybody knows is the crazy demoniac. He's now sitting down clothed and in a right mind. Something that these people had tried to do for years from the outside what? The outside in. They tried to chain him. They tried to manage him from the outside in. And in one single encounter with Jesus, he's now free. Remember that verse that we saw You will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the people became frightened. I have some thoughts I'll share later about why they were frightened. Well, I'll share real quickly now. I think they were frightened because there's somebody in town that's able to do what they couldn't do. They tried for years to try to control this guy, but they couldn't. And so now somebody's able to control them, to control this man, to control these demons, and they're frightened because now this guy, Jesus, is greater than them. And his ability is greater than their, his ability of actually fixing the guy from the inside is greater than their ability of trying to manage the guy from the outside. So they became frightened, a power struggle. And those who had seen it described to themselves, described to them how it had happened. This is verse 16. Um, to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore Jesus to leave the region. Again, irony. These people are begging Jesus to leave. The demons were begging Jesus to stay. The people were okay with the demons, but they wanted Jesus to leave. Why? Because Jesus shows, he reveals the great power of who he truly is. And the people were saying, hey, I'm not so sure about this. I'm not so sure about that. If you can do these things and we can't, we're, we're no longer in control in this region. Please leave. So verse 18, as he's getting into the boat, the man who had the demon possessed, the demon possessed, the de- who had been demon possessed, I'll get it out, I promise, was imploring him. We see that verb imploring a lot here, begging him that he might accompany him. The demon, the man who had been, let's call him Fred, Fred is saying, I want to go with you, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, or verse 19, he did not let him go. Jesus said no. But he said to him, go home, go to your people and report to them. Testify, in other words. Report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy upon you. And you know, it's not simply what Jesus did for this guy, but it's also this idea of what Jesus did to this guy. Think about it with me. I mean, it's not just what he did for him, but it's also what he did to him. He took the guy who was possessed by demons and tried to be shackled. I mean, he is in absolute no control of his whole life. And Jesus takes this demon from him. He frees the man from him. He does something to the man. He frees the man from the demon. He takes the demons out of the man and puts them into some swine, and the swine die instead of this man dying. He did something to him. He gave him a peace. He gave him a freedom. He gave him a new life. He gave him rest. And verse 20, he went away and he began to proclaim in Decapolis, that's, that's not from uh, Superman, that's actually this um, tin city region on the west side, uh, the east side of the Jordan River, this, this area. He just be- proclaimed in Decapolis, 
what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. I would say, yeah, of course they were amazed. They knew who this guy was. That's the guy <laughs> that had been demon-possessed. That's the guy that we tried to chain up for years. That's the guy. And now he's free. And so they're amazed at who? Are they amazed at the ones who tried to chain him for years and years? No. Are they amazed at the man who was freed? No. Their amazement was in Jesus. Jesus. And what does Jesus mean? Salvation. Deliverer. You see, I think this account of Jesus freeing this demoniac from these demons, I think this is an amazing picture, an amazing foreshadowing. Can you see the themes running through this of what Jesus had come to do for you, for the world? Jesus' compassion on this man that was rejected, he was living amongst the what? The dead, the, the tombs. Who lives in the tombs? Right, let's be honest. Your kid comes up to you one day and says, Dad, I want to go live in the graveyard. You're going to say, hey, let's rethink this, right? You're going to question every single sort of parenting tip you ever gave. That's not normal. And that's where this guy lived. Everybody knew who he was. That's crazy Fred living over there with the dead people. You can't control him. You can't even clothe him. Think of how nasty he was. But when Jesus saw him, was Jesus repulsed? Was Jesus judgmental towards this guy? He saw this man like he sees each one of us in Adam like a sheep without a shepherd with great compassion and love and mercy. And he says, here's a guy that shows the world why I've come to set people free. So I'm going to share some thoughts of how I think this is a picture of what Jesus has come to do for us. And then we'll have some minutes, hopefully, to discuss if we want to discuss, share thoughts. But really quickly, I think, as I've already sort of illustrated, that this demon-possessed man, a very real man in history, this isn't a story that just made up by Mark. This is a very real event. I think this, this demon-possessed man himself is a picture of you and I born from Adam himself. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, thousands of years ago, a real-life parasite, not necessarily a demon, but a real-life parasite entered into the human race called sin. See, we think of sin so often, rightly, as the things we do that are bad. And that's, okay. I mean, that is sin, the sinnings, right? But we have to remember that sin is a noun. It's a thing. It's a person, place, thing, idea. It's a noun. And so sin entered into the human race like this legion of demons entered into this man. This demon-possessed man, which I think is a picture of every single person born of Adam, he's restless. Restless. Naked. Void of any sort of righteousness to cover himself. His true condition, living among the what? Dead. And that's, that's who we were. And if you're still in Adam, that's who you are. Dead in your transgressions, dead in your sins, dead to God. This man was uncontrollable. 
Nobody could tame him. No sort of outside-in attempts, remedies, could fix the guy. And so you have these demons. These demons, I think, a picture, lesion, a picture of the power, the person of sin, this thing called sin that dwells within the entire human race that entered into the garden is passed on from child to parent to child to parent, or parent to child, parent to child, but sometimes too from child to parent feels like that, but from parent to child all the way down to you and I. I think the change, I could be wrong, but I think the change, I think these, a picture, a picture of any sort of outside-in attempt to constrain sin. I think of the chains, a picture of religion, a picture of the law, even the Mosaic law, a picture of the attempts of man to try to, from the outside in, try to manage sin and modify behavior. Now, what happened when this guy was chained up with chains? Were they effective whatsoever? No. He, I would submit that it probably just ticked the guy off even more. I mean, think about it. You chain up a guy with demons living through him, living in him, it just probably ticked him off all the more to which he ripped all the harder the chains from the walls. What do we know about the law when it comes to sin? The law is the what of sin? Starts with a P and ends with an hour. The power. The law is the power of sin. So think of these chains. They put these chains on this guy and it just rouses him up even more to break free from them. You put law, you introduce law, live by law, and it only excites what? Sin within our members. Does the law excite the Spirit of God? No. The law is not of faith. The law is not of faith. And so these chains, I'm submitting a picture of if we take people who are dead in their sins, like this demon-possessed man, and we try to, from the outside in, try to manage their sins and modify their behavior, it only makes things worse. It excites the sin. I think that the people tried everything they knew to do to help this guy. They thought they were trying to help him by chaining him up, but it only made things worse worse. If you like writing stuff down, here's a good thing to write down. This man did not need to be restrained. This man needed to be freed. This man did not need restraint. This man needed freedom. He needed deliverance. Do you see that? And what's the only thing? Could the chains bring deliverance? No, there were attempts to restrain him. You don't. You, yourself, you, your neighbor, the most vile of humanity. Ultimately, we don't need restrainment. We need freedom. We need deliverance from this power of sin that has passed on to us from our mama, from her mama, all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Listen, I believe, I could be wrong, but Jesus did not come to simply restrain behavior. You will name him Jesus. Not so he will restrain behavior, but so that he would save people from their sin. 
His name's Jesus, not so that you can put more restraint onto sin, but that he will actually rescue his people from sin. Mankind does not need restraint. Mankind needs freedom. We've got to see that. The gospel isn't, let's put restraint upon mankind. The gospel is, let us put freedom from sin so that we can now actually be dead to the law and alive to God himself. Now, if you realize how alive you are to God, you realize how joined to Jesus you actually are, are you going to walk in sin? No. You're going to walk in the righteousness that you already have. Remember the demons, they bowed down before Jesus? I think that's an awesome picture of how Jesus is greater than sin. You see, we get so convinced that our sinning is impressive to God. Look, I'm pretty sure that my sinning is not impressive to God. I'm pretty sure that God is very impressive to my sinning. You see what I mean by that? It's not our sin. We get so enamored at the size of our sins and how big our sins are. I'm just saying to you, maybe we can look at this and see how the demons, they bowed before the Son of God in complete humiliation and realizing how small they were to the God of the universe. I think we can step back to that and say, wow, our Jesus really is bigger than any sins that we could ever have in our lives. So instead of being so blown away by the size of our sins, maybe we should be blown away about the size of our Savior. Remember how the man was after Jesus freed him? You talk about some resting. Did those chains, i.e. outside-in behavior modification, outside-in law-based living, outside-in restraining, did those chains ever produce freedom? Did those chains ever produce peace? Did those chains ever produce um, uh, victorious Christian living, if you will? No. What was it that brought rest? It wasn't chains. It wasn't trying to fix from the outside in. What brought rest was Jesus. When Jesus delivered, when Jesus did what his name says he came to do, there was rest. He was sitting down. He was clothed. When we receive the freedom that Christ offers. We are rescued from the torment and the, the, the out-of-controlness, if you will. I don't know if that's a word. The, the craziness of living enslaved to sin. We are freed from that to where we now rest seated in Christ. And just like that man, we now are clothed. We go from being naked and full of shame to now clothed. Clothed with what, you might say? Clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. See, he didn't need chains. He didn't need restraint. He needed freedom. And he went from being crazy, hurting himself, to being in the right mind, in his right mind a peace that had come upon him. That put perspective, it put life back into perspective with the right 
mine. So the one who was restless is now resting. The one who was naked is now clothed. And the one who was crazy now has the right mind. Do you see what Jesus does? Do you see what he came to do? You will call him Jesus. Why? Good question. For he will save people from their sins. You ask this guy, what are we calling him? Fred, something like that. You ask Fred, hey, hey, Fred, did Jesus deliver? Does Jesus live up to his name? Did Jesus actually do what he came here to do? I think Fred would say yes. In fact, Fred spent the rest of his life going throughout Decropolis saying, guess what? (laughs) Remember me? (laughs) Yeah, that's not me anymore because I had an encounter. Remember me, the one that you tried to for years from the outside in, tried to manage by putting restraint upon me, by trying to manage my sin from the outside in like we try to do with law upon people? Remember me? Yeah, that's that. I'm free now because it wasn't restraint I needed. It was freedom that I needed. And Jesus gave me freedom. Here's our journey marker this morning. And then I have one quick thought. And then hopefully we have some time, maybe we're running out of time. Apologize um, for some discussion. But um, here's our journey marker. And it's simple. Uh, This one didn't, I wasn't up half the night thinking up this one, right? When Jesus saves us from our sins, he saves us from our sins. And that, that's right, John, amen. I mean, think about that. When Jesus saves us from our sins, he actually saves us from our sins. This man who was a crazy demoniac is now in his right mind. He was running around hurting himself and hurting others and busting chains. He's now sitting at rest. He was naked, now he's clothed. When Jesus saves us from our sins, he saves us from our sins. But are you willing to believe that? for yourself. See, that's the rub. Oh, Jesus saves. I believe he saves. But are you willing to believe that he has saved you from your sins? Are you willing to go that crazy in this thing of the finished work of Christ to say, I no longer... How how many? Give me a cardinal number. How many demons remained in this guy? Give me a number. Zero. I can say that in um, Spanish. Zero. Right? Is that right? Is that how you say zero? That something like that. I'm bilingual, I'm telling you. Sign me up for the next mission trip. How many demons remained? Zero. How many sins remain on your account when Jesus saves you? Zero. Are you willing to believe that? Because see, to religion, that's crazy. To religion, that scares them. Remember the people? They were frightened at this because they lost the power over this guy. They didn't have any, but they thought they did. But when you tell religious leaders that I have no sins left on my account, it frightens them because they well, what do I? what's my job now? I thought my job was for you to, to come and to beg me of your sins and blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. And no, the reality is that when Jesus saves us from our sins, he saves us from our sins. And it's so basic, but it's yet so good. Here's one last thought I told you that I was going to have, and we'll open the floor for some discussion. Does anybody remember? Where is it? Uh, Shoot. 
Here it is. Anybody remember those pigs? What had those pigs done to deserve what they got coming to them? Did they do anything? Those pigs do anything? They're just pigs doing what pigs do. Just being pigs. But the demons needed somewhere to go. Someone had to die. Do you see this? Something had to die. And so Jesus took the demons out of this man and he put them into these innocent pigs. And these pigs ran off the hill and died. I could be way in left field on this church, but what a picture of the innocent Jesus. Are you calling Jesus a pig? No, listen, I'm not. Just look at this. Just go with me. The innocent Lamb of God who came to receive your sin. Here's what Jesus did on the cross. Mary rose. He took every single one of your sins. John, every single one of your sins. Every single one, Allison, every single one. He took them all. And some of us have a lot. And he took them all away, David. He took all of our sins. And he didn't put them into something else. He didn't put in with some pigs. He put them into what? Himself. And he drowned under the righteous wrath of the cup of God on the cross so that we, like the demoniac, can sit here today at rest, clothed and in the right mind. For as the apostle says, we now have the mind of Christ. So yeah, I think the angel's right. Jesus is going to be his name, for he shall save his people from their sins. Are you his people? Are you his people? Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ? If you have, then listen, church, your sins are gone. When Jesus saves us from our sins, he saves us from our sins. Now, does that, does that well with up in you a desire to go out and sin? If so, you hadn't heard the gospel this morning. What does that do? That wells within up such a desire to get to know him more, a desire to actually live by him and live of him and live from him. A desire to actually live in this newness. And we'll get into this next week. I'm going to have myself sorry. But a desire to actually live as we are. But so many of us don't even, not, I don't know about us, but us, Christianity, don't even believe that he's actually saved us from our sins. Well, he has. Amen. Um, I wonder if there's any thoughts, any questions, any um I apologize, I did not anticipate that taking so long as it did. But if there's any thoughts maybe from the congregation, from the body of Christ, um, a word of encouragement, a word of, hey, not so fast there, big guy, you know, anything um, that you might want to share. We have, we only have like about eight minutes or so left. I apologize. I'd like to live more time for this. Oh, we're going to pass our plates. Good call, because we definitely need to um, have that done. John, would you, we'll go ahead and do that. We're going to pass the baskets back to the back. Um, and uh, if uh, you want to put in a donation, please do so. Um,
But any questions, any thoughts, any comments um, from what we've seen today with the demoniac? Demoniac? How do you say that properly? I'm not even sure. The man possessed. John. same passage i think it's in hebrews talks about for today is the day of salvation today yeah john just the picture i seen talking about this fellow fred sitting uh clothed and in his right mind thought come to mind once we understand who we are in christ is what we have, what you were talking about. We're sitting at rest. He was clothed, literally, in, in that scenario. But we are clothed in the righteousness of God. And we're in our right mind, being the mind of Christ. That's what we now have. And once you come to the understanding and realization of that, I mean, it's figurative, of course, we can't see it, but that's what God sees us as. It frees you of any bondage. And that man literally had freedom in his life, but he could also use that, I think, as well as we can, to, to the people around him could see that. And once we are in our right mind, who we are in Christ, we have that power that that man had, Maybe not, we maybe all didn't have demons, but it frees our mind, and we are in our right mind where people can say, you know, this fellow's really changed. This person, this man, this woman's really changed because God has taken away who we were and clothed us in the righteousness of Christ. And, you know, it just was a thought I've seen that God done that for some for people that wasn't worthy, that man probably wasn't worthy of that, not not in our mind, and neither were we probably, most of us, none of us probably, and it, it's a gift, and once you understand that, and, and a lot of people can't see it as a gift, they think it's something that's got to be earned, because that's what society teaches, but once you come to that right mind, and God gives you that right mind, he gives you the freedom to be who you are and live out of that and you pretty much covered that, but I just seen that thought. You know, you're clothed in righteousness, and you're given the right mind. That man was literally changed in his human person, but we are spiritually. We look the same on the outside, I guess, but we are giving, given a new spirit. Yeah, it's that treasure inside of the weak earthen vessel. Exactly. But we've got to be willing to believe what we really are who we really are. And that's living by faith, in my estimation. 
one more thought. I, yeah. You said about hanging on to the end of your rope. Mm. <clears throat> I thought of this earlier. One of my family members, one of my aunts, had a picture, and she probably still does in her house, of a kitten hanging on the end of the rope. So when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on. That's what religion would probably tell you. That's the way I grew up. But now I see that you don't tie a knot and hang on. When you, you let go. Religion says, you know, if you hang on long enough, God will help you back up to get back on top. Christ says, let go, and I've got this. Help. Yeah, that whole idea. God helps those who help themselves, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. No, he, he helps those who cannot help themselves. Yep. Amen. Right on. Awesome, John. Any other thoughts? Uh, we've got maybe time for one or two more. Yeah, David. We need like a Nerf, you know, microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when you said um, that what the demoniac needed wasn't restraint but freedom, that brought to mind to me um, Romans 6. And yeah. Instead of just reading the whole thing, I would just encourage everybody to go back and read Romans 6 because um, in verse 11 it says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in, in, in Christ Jesus. Um, and then on in 14 it says, For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Um, and it goes on. You know, it's, it's just so consistent with that idea of, of what, when we are freed from sin, we are free. You know, we are free indeed. Um, so anyway, it goes on to talk about us being then presenting ourselves as slaves to righteousness. But that idea then of presenting, like it's, we're obeying from the heart. We are presenting ourselves and saying we are now, you know, righteous in Christ it's not taking on that yoke of of law and slavery and and everything else but anyway awesome Awesome. right on yeah Mary Rose we frequently think of sin as something that we do and I think in addition to that it's sometimes what we tell ourselves um be it saying, oh, I can't do this, or I'm not capable of doing something, or um, I don't look pretty enough, or I'm not skinny enough, or whatever it might be. And to think of those things as not truths within me, but that's the power of sin in my mind. And to become into your right mind by considering really, you know, what your true heart is. That, that, is, that is the, I don't want to say the secret, I mean, I don't even want to say the key, but that is Christian maturity, is believing that at my core, I am absolutely a new creation, okay with God in all ways. But that truth getting from, you know, the core of our being up into the, you know, deep recesses of our twisted thinking is maturity. That's the whole deal. I used to say that I've got the gospel, I've got it figured out up here, but I need to work it down. That's why I used to say I need to work it down. But the truth is, I mean, this is what Paul says in Philippians uh, 2, work up or work out what has already been worked in. And so this thing has been worked in. Now it's a matter of getting it up here to believe what has actually happened at the core. And that's exactly right, because we have so much, 
I don't know, stinking thinking, you know, so much stuff like that. Matthew. Thank you for uh, God. Thank you for Mom and everybody. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Did you want to say something? No, <laughs> he said it all. Yeah. Apparently the meeting has gone long enough. He wanted to pray and end it. <laughs> Any, anybody else? Maybe got a minute more. I'd be happy to uh, to wrap, but I just love to hear any thoughts that you might have. Amen. Let's stand and close with a uh, word of prayer. And um, we, uh, real quick, we are not setting tables back up in here. There's a uh, benefit, not a benefit. What's the right word? A, a memorial concert. For a the teacher that we prayed for was that last week? Man, so much has happened since last week. Um, whose classroom was literally right there? He passed away um, violently in a wreck. They're doing a concert in his memory this afternoon at three o'clock. So you can leave the chairs, I do believe, but just let's try to get the tables. Man, where would they want the tables? Let's just fold the tables up and push them to the back. And when uh, Wes comes in, he'll tell us where to put the tables. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this, I believe, man, powerful um, picture of what Jesus came to do. And it's really easy for us to see this kind of globally. Jesus saves, Jesus saves globally. But Father, I pray that each one of us, as Mary Rose just put it, that we would see it individually, personally, that I, I as a people of God, I as a people of Jesus, I as a son, a daughter of God himself, I have been set free from my sin. I have been saved from sin. None remains on my accounting before you. And Father, if there's anybody in this room who has yet to trust Jesus, Father, I pray that they would see the truth that apart from Jesus, they are this demoniac, just like we, each of us, were. But because of Jesus, we have freedom, we have life, we have rest for our weary souls. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.